right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Yo! What's going on? I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today. Dude, Derek has been slacking this week, man. He's gone on Monday. He shows up on Tuesday and Wednesday, acts like he's doing his job. Oh, I'm here. I'm doing my job. And then he's gone again. He's gone today and tomorrow. So, Nick Chalk Sports Talk returns for both today and tomorrow. We have a packed show today, actually. We haven't really done a... We sort of did it yesterday, but we haven't really done a full, uh, real dive on the on the Super Bowl, so we're going to do that right now to start the show. Coming up later in this hour, Josh Briscoe from... 810 and The Zone and Times Ours podcast was going to join us to talk more Chiefs. In the 4 o'clock hour, we have the KML bag, which, by the way, if you would still like to submit a question for the KML bag, you can do that by heading over to Rock Talk Sports Talk on Twitter at RCST1320 or myself on Twitter at NickSpringer29. Go to Twitter. Submit your question for the mailbag. You have plenty of time. You have time to submit it up until uh, we do the mailbag segment, which will be at 4 o'clock. So you still have time to submit that. We'll talk about uh, a little bit of Big 12 basketball update from some of the games from last night. And then voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, is going to join the show later on in the 4 o'clock hour. In the 5 o'clock hour, I've got a special Super Bowl Media Week edition of the Lie Detector Test. An update on KU women's basketball as well in the 5 o'clock hour. So... A pretty full show. And also would like to remind you that tonight, immediately following the show, we'll have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider from 6 to 7. And High School Sports Weekly will air from 7 to 8 after that with myself. We're going to have Lawrence High Girls Basketball and the Baldwin High Wrestling Team on the show. And we're going to be recording live at Burgers by Biggs from 6 to 7. So you can come hang out and actually get some dinner, Burgers by Biggs corner of Bob Billings and Walker and listen to the show. And then the show is going to air back from 7 to 8 because we have to air Hawk Talk from 6 to 7 with Brandon Schneider. So that's what's coming up today, tonight. It's a really busy weekend of sports on here on KWN, actually. But first, we got to preview the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday. And are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? With DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, they have all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can get just five can bet just five dollars and get two hundred in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between now and the Super Bowl, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, to see what prop bet will be boosted. And Derek and I went through and, and did kind of a fun segment on yesterday's show, which you can find on the the Best of RCST podcast, talking about uh, some of the bets, some of the different prop bets. So there's there's so many on there. There's so many different things you can do. Uh, you can do 
which player will you can bet on a player to have a reception, a pass attempt, and a rushing attempt in the game. All th- like one player to have all three of those. There's there's all kinds of uh, fun stuff on there, and, and also you can have you can check the the which to see which bet will be boosted, and you can get better odds. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KLWN today. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amounts limits vary. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKings. Terms at Sportsbook. Pardon me. Terms at Sportsbook.DraftKings.com/slash/football/terms on behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Yes, it is Super Bowl week. That's right. Super Bowl is happening on Sunday. And I mentioned this uh, earlier in the week. I think it was on Monday show actually about sort of the stages of Super Bowl buildup, especially if you, the your team, the 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 team that you are a fan of, is playing, which in this case is the Chiefs. So normally there's like the excitement, there's the nervousness, there's the there's like the denial of like oh there's no way there's that the Chiefs are gonna lose. Then there's like the acceptance of oh man they're actually yeah, they're they're definitely gonna lose. And then there's like the last stage which is like the or at least for me extreme confidence. <clears throat> and I I've been in the hype stage for a little bit. I think today I have been starting to move more into the nervous stage a little bit. Um, but also, you know, this is one of those things where, like, dude, before the first Super Bowl that the Chiefs went to, when they won, they beat the Niners back in, in 2019, 2020, like, I couldn't do anything for, like, two or three days before the Super Bowl. Like, I, I was, I literally could not focus on anything. I was so nervous. I was, it was a disaster. I would just, I would just go home and I would just lay on the floor and, like, just existentially panic, basically. I was so nervous, terrified, everything. It was it was horrible. And then with the second one against the Bucks, I was pretty much fine all the way up to the Super Bowl. And with the Bucks game, because the Chiefs were clearly not going to win so quick, so early in the game, like there wasn't any of that post Super Bowl like terrible depression, like misery, like you know, it's it's one of those things where it's always the question of would you rather have your team get blown out or would you rather have your team lose in a close game, right? And, and for me. If you get blown out, that gives you the game at that point becomes like you coping with the loss. So once the game is actually over, it's like you've already gone through the stages of your team losing and sucking. So when that happens, then it's normally you normally are not in such a terrible situation for a long time. But like for instance, if your team loses a close game, especially if it's like a heartbreaker, I think back to the Titans loss for the Chiefs. I mean, dude, I was I was irreconcilable after that game. I just curled up into a ball and just sat there. So you see, I think it might be a little bit better if the Chiefs just get blown out. But obviously the best outcome would be that the Chiefs win the game. And they come into this game against the Eagles. Eagles are probably the better top-down roster, but the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. And that is that that sentence in and of itself is kind of applies to a lot of games that the Chiefs have had in the last three or four seasons where you look at the other team, like you look at the Bengals, right? Even the, like you look at the Bengals, and it's like, man, yeah, the Bengals from top to bottom are probably a better team, but the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. You look at the Bills. 
I think back to the to the divisional round last year against the Bills. The Bills are probably the better team, but the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, right? Now, of course, the question is, you say that, but Patrick Mahomes has dealing with a high ankle sprain, but he obviously he's had now over two weeks, and he was still able to beat the Bengals with it. So, how much of a factor will that be? But the reality situation is, for the Chiefs, they're facing one of the best pass rushing units, not just this season, but in all of all time. I think they, I think the Eagles are have the most sacks by any team. Like they're like third all time in in NFL history for most sacks in a single season by by a single team. So, and. If you flash back to what happened with the Chiefs in the last Super Bowl against against the Bucks, that was their undoing. That was the reason they lost the game, was the Bucks pass rush. Now, obviously, it had to do with the fact that the Chiefs were a patchwork offensive line and whatnot, and that really affected the game. So, so the Chiefs, they have an offensive line that you would think is in a position to try to stand up against the Eagles' pass rush. And that is sort of my biggest question about this game in terms of the discussion about the pass rush is are the Chiefs going to try to run the ball early to disrupt the pass rush of the, of the Eagles, not let them get comfortable, just pinning their ears back? Are the Chiefs going to execute a lot of short passes? Are we going to see a lot of screens? We normally see a decent amount of screens to begin with out of the Andy Reid offense, so are we going to see more? When you have a guy like Kadarius Tony, is there going to be a lot of bubble screen type plays, just getting the ball out of Mahomes' hands quick? You know, plays like that are almost run plays, if you think about it. So, you know, what what are we going to see, I guess, early in the game from the Chiefs? How are they going to anticipate that? Because I do think that maybe is the biggest storyline of the game is the Eagles pass rush versus the Chiefs. I think that's probably the number one story, besides Patrick Mahomes just being Patrick Mahomes. But on the flip side, it's equally as interesting. You've got Jalen Hurts, who's a very mobile quarterback that the Chiefs are going to have to deal with as a rusher, as a scrambler, and as a thrower as well. But with the Eagles, man, I mean, think about their run to the Super Bowl. And we actually had this on NFL Monday over reactions, you know, two weeks, three weeks, two weeks ago after the after the uh, Eagles beat the Niners. Think about the Eagles run. They got to play the Giants, okay? A team that certainly overachieved this season for what they are. A team that in a year or two, assuming Daniel Jones continues to progress, could be actually like a legitimate playoff team. But is that what they really were this year? Nah. Nah. And then they go and play the Niners, who literally did not have a quarterback. They got to play a team without a quarterback in the AFC Championship game. Does it get any? Do you get any luckier than that? Like, is there like, how does? So, I mean, the Eagles are going to go from playing a team without a quarterback to playing the best quarterback, the most talented quarterback, probably of all time. That's a big adjustment. That's a big adjustment. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have already been tested. They've already been tested. The Jaguars battled against the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs were realistically never going to lose, but you know, obviously they, they battled. And then, of course, the Chiefs played the Bengals, who 
arguably might be the second or third best team in the league. Or at least in terms of how hot they were and everything and on top of that. So the Chiefs have been tested. They've played a tight game in the playoffs. They are battle-hardened. Are the Eagles? Nah. Certainly not this season. Right? So, I'm not really quite sure what to make of that. Am I am I suggesting that the Eagles are just going to fold? No, I don't think so. Because I think the reality of the situation is the Eagles' defense is probably too good to allow them to fold. But if it's late in the game and the Eagles are trailing, I do think there's a question of how will they respond? What's their attitude going to be? So you've got the matchup of the of the D-line. And then, of course, for the Chiefs, you got Travis Kelsey doing his thing. Doing what he does best. I would expect him to have a big game. You have Kadarius Tony, we think. <clears throat> you have MVS coming off of probably the best game of his career. You have Juju. You have Pacheco as a runner. I asked Derek about this yesterday. I said, do you think we'll see Clyde? He said, yes. I said, do you want to see Clyde? He said, no. I think that's probably how how most Chiefs fans feel. We're probably going to see Clyde, but do we want to? Not particularly. So I don't think there's any reason for the Chiefs to be concerned about being unable to score against the Eagles' defense. But the question here for the Eagles is, if they can get a pass rush and pressure Mahomes without blitzing, that tends to be when the Chiefs have issues. That tends to be when the Chiefs have problems. Because when you blitz Mahomes, bad things happen. Period. But if you can get pressure on him without having to blitz, then normally good things happen. And I'm sure that's what the Eagles are going to try to do. But also, from the Eagles' perspective, if you think Mahomes is limited at all, mobility-wise... By the high ankle sprain, maybe you do just blitz him and see how he reacts. I think the Chiefs would take that. I think I think the Chiefs would rather see the Eagles try to blitz him than not. And for the Chiefs' defense, again, you've got to find a way to defend Jalen Hurts. I mean, do you spy him every play? How do you how do you approach that? The Eagles pretty much gashed the Giants on the ground, and against the Niners, like. They didn't have to uh, see that this is the thing like against the Niners the I, I I have a hard time I have a hard time drawing any legitimate conclusions from that game because the Eagles offense didn't have to do anything. They knew the Niners weren't going to be able to score because they didn't have a quarterback. So I look at that game and yes it's the most recent game the Eagles have played but I don't I don't I'm not interested in drawing any conclusions from it because the Eagles got to play a team that did not have a quarterback. They, they I mean, they didn't have to the offense didn't have to do anything. They could have just punted every single possession after they got their first touchdown and after Brock Purdy got hurt and they would have won the game easily. So I just you figure that they're that the Eagles are going to probably be pretty effective running the ball. 
They have maybe the best offensive line in the league. And on the flip side, the Chiefs have Chris Jones, who was phenomenal against the, the Bengals. Frank Clark, who historically turns up in the playoffs, and they will certainly need him to turn up for this game. It sounds like Legereus Sneed is going to be back. That's big. Very big. Now the question, I think, for the Chiefs in the secondary is, does Legereus Sneed go and shadow A.J. Brown? Or does he just more play in the slot? I don't know. But I do think the Eagles will try to run the ball quite a bit with Jalen Hurts and with Miles Sanders. And they're going to probably try to use Devonta Smith and even A.J. Brown to, to look to go deep. Because besides LeJarrius Sneed, the Chiefs' corners are not very big. Trent, Trent McDuffie's not very big. Josh Williams. Mm. So there's some questions there. But I do think the critical factor for the Chiefs here is going to be Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. Can those guys step up and make plays? And again, one of them, I would think, is you're probably going to want to try to spy Hurts a good majority of the time with one of those guys. Can they have an impact? Can they have a positive impact in the game? I'm not really concerned about Butker. He had a really good performance against Cincinnati. I think he'll probably be fine. I mean, if the game comes down to a game-winning kick from Butker, am I going to be nervous? Yes. But I would be nervous regardless. So, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. And for the Chiefs, you go back to the Bengals game, it was a grind. It was a battle. But I think the biggest thing in that game was the Chiefs almost gave it away with the fumble by Mahomes, the drop the drop ball. So I continue to think that if the Chiefs, and I've thought this for basically every game the Chiefs have played in the last two or three years, if the Chiefs don't shoot themselves in the foot, I think they will win because Mahomes is the X factor. And if they play a clean game on offense and they play a disciplined game on defense, then I think they will probably win. However, if they have penalties, if they have defensive penalties, if they have turnovers, dumb turnovers, like guys dropping the ball or whatever, they could be in trouble because the Eagles the Eagles are really, really good. Really good. They are really, really good at pretty much across the board on both sides of the ball. I just think, I just have that much faith in Mahomes. I really do. <clears throat> and listen, don't come to me with your crap about Carl Cheffers. I don't care. I don't care that Carl Cheffers is, has thrown the most defensive pass interference penalties of all officials. I don't care. I literally don't care. So don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I don't care about Carl Cheffers. I never have. I never will. Refs are like the weather. They're just there. They're just something you play through with the game. I really could not care less. And I just pray that Carl Cheffers doesn't do anything so dumb that we have to talk about it on Monday. Because I don't want to talk about it. Because I don't care. 
because I can guarantee you it probably won't be the reason why the Chiefs won or lost the game. So I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to hear it from Chiefs fans. I don't want to hear it from anybody. Like, I just, who cares? Literally, who cares? Okay? And here's the other deal with the Carl Cheffers stuff. Do people think that Carl Cheffers is the only guy that throws the flags during those games? They've got a whole crew. It's not just him. It's a whole crew of guys. And in fact, in the postseason, it's not Carl Cheffers' crew. It's a it's a combination of all of the whatever, however they describe, like they're all star refs or whatever. However they select their refs. So it's not even like Carl Cheffers' guys. It's not his. It's not his boys. Okay. So I just, I just don't care. I don't care. I hope I don't have to talk about it on Monday because it'll just make me mad. It'll just make me mad that that'll be the discourse. I don't want that to be the discourse. That's my little mini rant on Carl Jeffers and the officiating. I don't care. I don't ca- I don't want to see your stats about Jeffers throwing all the flags. I, I don't care. And I just hope that Jeffers, listen, there's going to be some bad calls, okay? If you, if you have eyes and you watch football, there's bad calls in every single game. That's how this works. That's how the NFL works. There's bad calls in every game. There's going to be bad calls. There's going to be bad no calls. I can guarantee you that. You want to talk about Super Bowl prop bets, I would bet my life on that, that there's going to be a bad call one way or the other. I'm sure there will be, and there will probably be multiple bad calls, multiple bad no calls. That's how it works. If you've been watching any games, you know that's how it works. Okay? Are we done? Are we Are we good? Are we done with the officiating stuff? Yeah, I think we're done. All right, we're going to take a short break. Here in just under 15-ish minutes, Josh Briscoe is going to join the show from the zone in Kansas City. Let's talk more Chief stuff a little bit more. We'll ask him, ask him some questions about what we just talked about here in the preview. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, Katie Mailbag, you have time to still submit some questions if you have any on social media. Go to my Twitter, at NickSpringer29, at Talk. Tweet me a question. Any question about anything. I know we call it the KU Mailbag, but it's not a K. I mean, generally speaking, the questions are about KU. But they don't have to be. You can ask anything. Somebody last week at, or two weeks ago asked if you could be an animal, which animal would you want to be? I love those kinds of questions. So if you've got a dumb, random question, Fire away. Any question at all. Anything. Literally anything. You've still got time. You've got until 4.05 to get in your questions. At RCST on Twitter, at NickSpringer29 on Twitter. We'll have a Big 12 basketball update later on in the 4 o'clock hour. Brian Haney is going to join the show later in the 4 o'clock hour. A special Super Bowl Media Week lie detector test coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. That's a look ahead for today's show. We'll take a timeout right now when we come back, a little bit more Chiefs discussion, and then we'll get into uh, with Josh Briscoe coming up in just over 10 minutes now here on RCSD. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today on vacation, but the show goes on. And right now we are joined via phone by 
Josh Briscoe from The Zone 810. You can follow him at JB Briscoe on social media. He does all kinds of fun stuff. Josh, thanks, thanks for taking some time to come on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. This has been the uh, the best week month of my life because uh, <laughs> it's the only one that I think has ever really gotten this way. I can't believe it's Thursday, uh, but very hard to complain about the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. I've just, in fact, I'm not complaining at all. I've just lost my sense of space and time, and so that's you know a side effect. The Super Bowl week wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, where are you at on the excited to nervous scale right now? I think I'm like, this is the thing also, I don't know, maybe maybe I've just sort of like lost my nerve a little bit, or my nerves, because I'm not really nervous. It might partially be because of the places where I'm bullish on the Chiefs, but also like I'm just, I'm ready more than anything else. Like I think this game's going to really, I, I think it's going to live up to the height. I, I know that that's a dangerous thing to say about a Super Bowl, because it seems like they so rarely do. I think this game will. I'm just ready to see it. Um, I'm I'm certainly more excited than nervous, though. Okay, well, let's talk about it. A lot has been made of the matchup between the Eagles' pass rush and the Chiefs' O-line so far this week. What do you mm-hmm. think the Chiefs' strategy is going to be to try to mitigate that pass rush? Do you expect them to maybe run the ball more early or more screens? How do you think the Chiefs are going to try to, to navigate that? It's a great question because that's, like, the question, I think, right now, especially <laughs> in terms of kind of the – like, the answers we've been getting from Radio Row, I'm in Kansas City, but Jason's out in Radio Row. Like, the answers we've been getting people on Radio Row about the game are like, you know, well, the Chiefs have the better quarterback, the Eagles have the better team. And that, I think, is an oversimplification, but I do think it goes back to the trenches. So just seeing if they can do some things to, like, change Hassan Reddick's angles. I was listening to, uh, you know what, I can't remember what I was listening to earlier. ESPN Daily, maybe? Yeah, that was, that's what it was. Chris Long was talking uh, about changing the angles on, on Reddick. If you can even like make him have to retool something as as minor as that again, the angle of attack, who he expects to be on him, even if it's a tight end lined up there, uh, tight in the formation, he doesn't have to be blocked by the tight end. But if he has to even just make the choice of okay, do I go inside the tight end and assume he's going to just take off or risk being chipped, or do I line up outside? Now my angles are wonky. Stuff like that is some of the really granular stuff. I, I mentioned that being Chris Long's point because I didn't come up with that. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> you, you have things like just the formations themselves. We were talking about this in the most recent episode of Times Ours I do with Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser over on The Athletic. And uh, they were talking about, hey, what, what if this is just extremely varied personnel? If the Chiefs are saying, here's 13 personnel. we got three tight ends out here. Hey, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is back. Now he's coming out of the backfield, catching some of these passes out of there, uh, out of the backfield. Maybe it ends up being a, a game where you just hope and pray that Kadarius Tony stays as healthy as long as possible, and you try to move everything quickly. Uh, my favorite stat from the AFC Championship game was that Patrick Mahomes was 18 for 18 on passes outside the pocket, on extended dropbacks, and on the move. It was six for six on all three of those categories. And that's, that stat has stuck with me this week, the last couple of weeks, because he did it on a bum ankle. And so if he can continue to be efficient on the move, I feel good about that. But what happens when he needs to hold on to the ball for a second for a receiver to get open? That might be my biggest concern, compounded by that question there about the Eagles defensive line. Okay, what about on the other side? How does the Chiefs D-line deal with the Eagles O-line, who has been called the best in the league, and obviously Jalen Hurts both as a passer and more specifically as a runner? I really want to just, like, straight carry everything over from the AFC Championship game, right? And I actually, I think, again, like an overreaction from some folks is the idea that, oh, you know, Chris Jones was dominant against that banged-up Bengals interior, but he's not going to be able to be as effective against, against Philly. There's some truth to that, but not absolute truth to that. 
which ends up still demanding double teams for him. He's going to win some of those anyway. And if he's winning any double teams and demanding them in general, now it's about the rest of the guys. That's where this gets really interesting to me, which is, hey, what, what happens to Frank Clark and Mike Dana and George Karloftis and Carlos Dunlap against Jordan Mailata and, and Lane Johnson, even, again, banged up being maybe an understatement. But they're still out there playing excellent, excellent football. So I think that matchup is also vital. And I'm maybe a little less encouraged about that one, but that might be, again, when you talk about the pass rush and coverage, how, how much they affect each other. I think I'm a little more bullish on the Chiefs' offensive line and a little more concerned about wide receivers getting open. On the other side, I feel better about the Chiefs' corners than I think anybody's going to give them credit for. And uh, I'm maybe still a little more nervous about the pass rush hitting their moments. I-, I do think that playoff Frank Clark is a real thing, though, and that's been a, a hell of a deal. Well, I do think it's interesting because when you look at the Eagles, the game they played against the 49ers, I I personally feel like it's hard to draw conclusions from that game because they played a team that didn't have a quarterback, right? So it's like right. how much do you want to how much do you want to take away from that particular game? Yeah, and really it becomes a funny question for the Eagles entire season. So, uh, and this is not like a backhanded like oh, the Eagles backed into the playoffs. Their defense is actually terrible. But they did not have a whole lot to show in terms of, like, going up against elite offenses, elite passers. They have none of that. It was a game against Dak. You got a Kirk Cousins game, some Daniel Jones game, uh, or early Jared Goff game. But, like, those those metrics to me, which goes all the way into the, the NFC Championship game against the Niners, look, I if Brock Purdy is healthy that whole game, I still think the Eagles end up winning it. It just would have been really nice to have that information for what does this defense look like against, again, a quarterback who would literally throw. I mean, Josh Johnson might have, he, look, I mean, he was not ready for that moment. It just The play clock was running out and all sorts of bad stuff was happening. But Josh Johnson, if he doesn't get concussed, that game's more interesting. And then certainly once, once Purdy was in there, just not able to throw more than 10 yards. I guess George, I didn't see the mic up, but somebody mentioned George Kittle was asking if he could throw left-handed. When the quarterback of the other team, the third stringer for that matter, and really at this point now the fifth stringer leaving and coming back hurts, when you're asking if your quarterback can throw this offhand on a regular basis, your game is over. And so, yeah, I, I really do think it's very hard to judge everything they did offensive, or defensively against the, the Niners' offense. Um, meanwhile, though, what they did offensively certainly stands. Okay, so what do you think? You, you mentioned the, the corners of the Chiefs. What do you think outside of the trenches is maybe the most impactful matchup? Is it wide receivers versus DBs? Mm. Is it the tight ends and running backs versus safeties and linebackers for the team? Which, which matchup maybe intrigues you the most outside of the trenches? It's going to be, oh boy, I don't know. I, I mean, Legereus Sneed said this week he's not following anyone, um, but I imagine he'll stay in the slot. Obviously, again, you know, getting hurt early in the Bengals game took him out of that. So if Sneed largely stays in the slot, I think the matchups of the day are Jalen Watson and Trent McDuffie uh, against uh, Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown. I don't think they'll move sides to kind of wherever they line up. And if, and if either of them end up in the slot, and they certainly will, um, then, then it'll be Sneed. But it really, for me, ends up being about whichever rookie corners are out there and if the Chiefs are going to trust them to win some one-on-ones like they did against the Bengals. If they do that, it frees Spags up to blitz more, maybe even blitzing with Sneed every once in a while, which we know he's excellent at. But wherever the pressure comes from, I think if Spags goes for the the rattling of Jalen Hurts a little bit, try to show him some stuff and speed up his process, he's fantastic. This isn't some, like, you know, backhanded, again, the jab at Jalen Hurts. But if, if he can make him need to act quicker than he's comfortable doing, and then also that that forces those corners on an island. But if it's Jalen Watson against A.J. Brown, and Jalen Watson can hold his own, 
for a beat and a half. By that point, the pressure ideally should arrive by then. So for me, I, I, I think if I was like able to give superpowers to one group on, on the Chiefs, it might just be the defensive ends because I would love to have that. But getting me out of the trenches, like you said, I, I think I'd go ahead and, and go to the corners. And I would sound more unconfident, I'm sure, if I hadn't watched the AFC Championship game. But they held their own against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It wasn't perfect, but it was certainly good enough. Okay, you mentioned uh, Snead coming back from injury. How concerned are you today, right now, on Thursday afternoon? How concerned are you today, totally, about the Chiefs' various injuries? you got Snead, you've got, obviously, the receiver situation. How can, what's your concern level about the, the Chiefs' injuries going into this game? I'm near a zero on Majerius Snead. I know it's kind of messed up to say about, like, a concussion, but there is such a clear protocol to that. It's been two weeks. Certainly, if he gets, you know, if he gets another head impact, it's a totally different ballgame. But as we stand here now, Feel good about Snead. Feel pretty good about Willie Gay. Uh, he's been a full participant in practice and dancing around, looking good out there. But, again, a shoulder injury is a lot more liable to show up in a game than it is in practice. So I'm a little worried about him. I, I am much more worried, though, about the wide receivers. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, a full participant in practice yesterday. That's a great sign. The Chiefs are waiting for swelling in his knee to go down, according to Andy Reid. So if that's on schedule, that's great. But I'm a little bit skeptical. And then I'm just uh, – I don't know, man. For the next, like, three years, I'm probably going to be at a 10 on Kadarius Tony because I just think he's electric, and I'm afraid he's going to be like an electric vehicle that, you know, is, uh, has been on the road for a little too long, and you're wondering about the battery life. I'm not on an electric vehicle. I'd like to, you know. Uh, but, but the segue notwithstanding, no pun intended, um, I, I'm worried about Tony being healthy enough to play as big of a role as I think the Chiefs would like him to. And frankly, I think if you had a fully healthy Canarius Tony, I think you might end up being the story of the Super Bowl, honestly. Okay, so so far during this week, what has been the most interesting or funny takeaway maybe you've had from all of the Super Bowl media week coverage that's gone on? Um, from the funny side or kind of like, I don't know, just the nice side of it all, there was an NFL media tweeted out like a little summary of just a few quips from Andy Reid's presser yesterday, I guess, um, and and his little, uh, you know, doggone it, Herbie, to Herbie Ethiopia of the star, and then being asked by Brandon Marshall, his three favorite rappers alive, and uh, he said he doesn't drink coffee, he just gets up and goes, he's got a lot of energy for a chubby guy. All of that kind of stuff, it's funny to watch Andy Reid going back and forth from football mode to that mode, but... I, we got great media people in the room every day around here, but being able to see Andy Reid this time through kind of enjoy the Super Bowl experience you know, against the Bucks, it was COVID, and then also the car accident with his son, um, and then going back to the Niners, that was Andy Reid's first time back in a Super Bowl in a long time, the first one for all the Chiefs, Chiefs fans. This one feels like everyone's just a little more relaxed, including Andy Reid, certainly not like flip it or anything, but just kind of being themselves and getting to show a different side of their, their personalities with everybody being super available to the media. Um, so I, that for me has been like kind of the most fun little positive uh, storyline of the week is that more people are getting to see more of that from Reid and Mahomes and Kelsey and a lot of those guys that we knew had that personality, but don't have excuses to show it very often. Okay. You're watching the Super Bowl. You're at a party. What is your go-to food slash snack for the party? Are you getting the chips and dip? Or are you getting the wings? What are you? What's? What are you going to first? Wow, boy! I should have had this question ready to go. I, I just I've uh, again this, oh, this is a funny, don't worry. There's, a funny we've got the, my life. we've got good idea, bad idea coming up to this too. So be prepared. Oh my goodness. Okay, I will. I will try to get in the right headspace. Um, I I like almost all you know like bar food, but I I 
think if I was given like my choice of them all, just some super loaded nachos hit a spot for me that very few other things do. So um, I, I think some some really well done nachos would probably be my number one overall pick. Um, and just load those with with anything you can find, uh, except for tomatoes. I'm kind of picky about tomatoes and black olives for some reason. Okay, as I tease, good idea, bad idea. Are you ready? I am. I think I'm ready. Okay. Good idea or bad idea? Having someone, Willie Gay or Nick Bolton or someone else, as a permanent spy every play the whole game on Jalen Hurts? I think it's a bad idea only in the specificity. Um, because I think that whoever that is that's keeping an eye on Jalen Hurts, it might not be as, a, as specific as a full-on spy where like, his job is to just watch the quarterback. And I think it's going to switch around, depending on what they're showing. Um, if you were to say... A little extra attention on Jalen Hurts pretty much all the time. I think that is a necessary idea. Okay, giving Isaiah Pacheco 25-plus carries in the game to try to counter the Eagles' pass rush and wear them down. Um, it, how, what was your number? That My, my connections come in and out a little oh, bit. Oh, sorry. Uh, 25-plus carries in the game. That's a little rich for my blood, but it's, it's, it feels a little rude to call it a bad idea because if that's what it takes to kind of get Andy Reid in the mindset of like, hey, and look, I, I'm the farthest thing from establish the run guy I think you're going to find. I, I love that the Chiefs to pass first, pass second, and then maybe run third. But if the Eagles specifically start showing those looks where they know you're throwing, then I think it's Pacheco time. Okay, you mentioned the idea of, of having three tight ends on the field for the Chiefs. Why not taking that a step further? Good idea, bad idea. Playing with six offensive linemen the whole game to increase pass protection. I think there's going to be a little bit of that. We might see kind of a heavy personnel pop in. I'm going to get, you know what? I'm going to give it a bad idea. I'm going to go for it because, because Blake Bell is not an offensive lineman. So here's my little tweak on this one. Good idea for active tight ends in this game. Blake Bell was a healthy scratch and Jody Fortson came back. I would not put six linemen on the field because I want to have the threat of all of them being able to catch. I would be interested in the snap or two of, you heard me, 15 personnel. Okay, you, you kind of flirted with this earlier uh, in this interview with talking about Kadarius Tony. Good idea or bad idea? Guaranteeing that Kadarius Tony has a big game in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs then win the Super Bowl, but it derails the rest of his career forever with injuries. Oh, man. I, I think I would take the button that I would hit the button that, that allows him to stay healthy for long, the, the longest possible time. I think my wish would be for his long-term health, not just for him in this game. Uh, but I don't think I'm, I'm given the power for either of those. I, I just, <laughs> I just want to see him on the field, man. I really do. I, I just think, I think the Mahomes-Tony duo could be so infuriating for the rest of the league for a really long time. Okay, last one. Good idea, bad idea. The Suns trading for Kevin Durant. Wait, I mean, wait a second. A I idea. just got off the phone with Adrian Wojnarowski. Apparently they did that? Yeah, that, that happened last night, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it is a spectacular idea, although I will not celebrate that fully without giving the proper condolences uh, to, to Suns fans everywhere. Cause I'm, I'm legit bummed that they had to include Mikhail Bridges in that. He's, he's a, an absolutely tremendous energy giver, a great player. And so it bummed me out that he was included in the deal, but I understand why the Suns had to do it. Uh, the, the Booker, uh, Durant, CP3, Aiton starting 405 there is... <laughs> baby, I'm suddenly looking at the playoff <laughs> schedule again. Man, it's been a little bit. Have you considered the possibility that Kevin Durant loves championships so much that he decided to get traded to the Suns because the Super Bowl is in Phoenix? Is it, is it, do you think that's a coincidence? I think, look, I think him just getting as close to rings as he can, if he wants to suit up for the Chiefs on, on Sunday, I would take it. 
<laughs> All right. Cover Kevin Durant in the end zone. Good luck. All right. He is Josh Briscoe from The Zone. You can find him at J.B. Briscoe. He also has times ours on The Athletic. Josh, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Good stuff, man. Enjoy getting the big chair. Don't tell Derek I said that. <laughs> I won't. All right. Thank you very much, Josh. That was Josh Briscoe from The Zone 810 and also on Times Ours Podcasting Athletic. You can find him doing all kinds of different stuff uh, as well. Alvar at his Twitter on at JB Briscoe. One hour down here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, we will get into our KU mailbag. You can still submit questions up until about 4.05 is when we're going to start KU mailbag. So if you've got any last-minute questions, get them in quick. We'll get a Big 12 basketball update also on the 4 o'clock hour. And at 4.40, Brian Haney is going to join the show to talk about KU basketball. Is they are on the road at Oklahoma on Saturday. All right, one hour down. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson has abandoned the show. He's gone rogue. No, he's just on vacation. He'll be back on Monday, I think. But for some reason, unbeknownst to me, he has entrusted the show to me. I don't really know why that he thought that was a good idea. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And it is that time on a Thursday for another edition of our KU Mailbag. So thank you very much to everyone that submitted questions for the mailbag today. Got some good ones today. As I have said, I've gone on record many times saying this. The KU Mailbag is my favorite segment because people get to ask us questions. It's fun. It's engaging. It's my favorite segment. So, let's dive in. First question. Oh, I didn't write down who said this first question. Oh, I know who it is. Uh, It's from uh, What's My Age Again on Twitter. I don't know what your age is. Sorry. From What's My Age Again on Twitter. If Baylor wins the Big 12, regardless of a tie, does that cement their supremacy as the new best school in the Big 12? Okay. I I don't think so. I don't think I I don't I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to be making that argument. So they've won what? They won the Big 12 in 2021, right? And then they shared it last year with KU, so technically they've won it two years in a row. So if you're saying regardless of a tie, well, okay. The caveat here is what if it's a what if it's a tie with Kansas? Cuz Kansas and Baylor shared, I believe, last year. So what if they share again this year? I think with Kansas winning the national title last season, I don't think you can make this I don't think you can say that they're there's the does that cement their supremacy as the new best school? I don't think you can say that the new best school in the Big 12. Because KU won the national championship. If KU had not won the national championship last season and Baylor goes on to, to win the Big 12 this season, Okay, I'm listening. But I, I don't see how you can make that argument right now. KU just won the national championship. I understand Baylor has won. So listen, they're, they're equal in national championships over the last you know three or four years. They shared the title last year. Baylor won it. Kansas won it in 2020, though. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can make that argument right now. I think if, if Baylor wins the Big 12, like outright, and they have a deeper title run than KU, like they go to the national championship game or the final four or even win the national championship. Like, like if Baylor, if Baylor wins it, if Baylor wins the big 12 and then goes on to win the national championship in, in early April. Okay. 
maybe you can start. Maybe I might start coming out on that. But right now, they've got the same number of national titles in the last five years as he, as each other. And if they tie, if they share the Big 12, they have basically the same number of Big 12 titles also over the last five years. So no, I don't think I don't think this is a statement I'm ready to accept yet. And also, I don't like Scott Drew. I'll say it. I'm biased. I don't like Scott Drew. I don't like it. So that's another reason why I don't think they'd be superior, is I don't like Scott Drew. But yeah, if, if Baylor wins the Big 12, and let's say they share with Texas or whatever, but if Baylor wins the Big 12 and KU is not part of it, and then on top of that, Baylor goes on to make the Final Four, make the National Championship. Where they make, let's say KU gets bounced in the second round and Baylor goes to the Final Four, Baylor wins the National Championship. Then yes, I think there is a little bit more merit to this argument. But they have the same number of National Championships as each other and almost the same number of Big 12 titles as each other in the last five years. So no, I'm not ready to go there. Okay, this is from Mitch. Is there an argument to be made that McCuller is the most important KU player because of his size and defense. Every time he goes out or gets in foul trouble, bad things happen. This is such a tough question because I think depending on who you ask and depending on when you ask them, you you have people making the argument for four different players as being the most important players for KU. Jalen Wilson, obviously, he's the best player. He could he could you could make an easy argument that he's your most important. He's the best. He's the guy that can create off the off, off the dribble. He can create his own shots. Then you have Dewan Harris and everything he does for Kansas. And if you ask Bill Self, he probably would say Dewan Harris, maybe. And certainly after the Texas game, he probably would have said it. And then you have Kevin McCuller. And the argument is, yes, he does. he's so great on defense. Look at his rebounding numbers. He's one of the best rebounding guards in the country. He can, he can switch just about anybody because of his size. Or you could even argue K.J. Adams because of him anchoring down the five roll in a year when you don't, when Ernest Duday did not develop as quickly or in the way that people thought he would. Zuby didn't really develop in the way people thought he would either. And then he obviously he's hurt now. Zach Clements has, has been up and down. So, like, maybe from that standpoint, K.J. Adams because of how he's how – he's, Able to been able to anchor down the five position for KU. So you got four guys, I think, that on any given day, anybody could say, well, this guy is the most important player for KU. So this is one of those questions where it's just it's it's recency bias. Like for instance, after the Texas game, well, Dewan Harris is the most important player for KU. After any of the games where Jalen scored hundred, well, Jalen's the most important player for KU. During that stretch that KJ had like seven games in over the double double, well KJ Adams is the most important player for KU. Like you see what I'm saying? Like and then obviously with with McCuller, it's he's he's Mr. Reliable in terms of his defense and whatnot and rebounding. But I think I'd probably have to go with if I had to rank him. I still think Jalen's the most important player because if you take away Jalen, there's nobody on this team that can create from create for for themselves. So I'd probably go Jalen 1, Dewan 2, or Dewan 1.5, but 2. And then I think I'd put McCuller at 3 for most important plays for KU. All right, this one from Jared. What non-post player, too obvious of a need in parentheses, would you add to this year's team from the past 10 years of KU teams? 
I think we had a question similar to this like a month ago or something. And yeah, I mean, if you're not going to add a post player, I think if you get rid of the caveat of the post player, I think Doak is your obvious answer. Probably. But if it's not going to be Doak, if it's not going to be a post player, I think you're looking at two options. You're going to want you want a winger that can create for himself and is a good shooter, or you just want a lights-out three-point shooter, like another shooter that can spread the floor. So you're looking at, honestly, you're looking at like somebody like Ochai. Ochai is the guy that you could add. Or like Andrew Wiggins. Or even a Christian Brown type. A winger who can shoot pretty well and can create and get his own shot. Somebody like that. Or you could also go with like Devontae Graham. I think I don't think Devontae Graham is a terrible choice. You can make him you can make him the two guard. And now you're you have a bona fide national player of the year level play from Devontae Graham plus Dewan Harris. So now in that situation, if Dewan Harris is off the floor, you still have a very, very trusted ball handler in Devontae Graham who can shoot very, very well. So I would, that's who I would lean towards. I think Ochai on this team would be very intriguing. Devontae Graham, I think, is is a solid option. But yeah, I think you're looking for a winger who can who can shoot pretty well and can create for himself. Or a, a, a two-guard type like Devontae Graham. Because Devontae Graham can be very, very successful as not the primary guard, right? So you could... You could roll out Devontae and Dewan Harris at the same time, and it would be fine, I think. So maybe Devontae's the choice. I think if MJ Rice was further along in his ability to score and develop and whatnot, I think Devontae Graham would be the easy choice, actually. All right, this one from Austin. What is the floor and ceiling for KU in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think the ceiling is a national championship. I mean, there's there's not a lot of elite teams in the country, and I think Kansas has that pedigree. I think they, they have that ability. I mean, Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, those guys have obviously run the, the title team last year. Like they have they have that mentality, and I think they could get there. And just like with any other team, just like with any other year, you you're gonna need a favorable a more favorable bracket. And a favorable bracket for Kansas, I think, would look like where they're able to match up. They're able to get a bracket where they don't have to play an elite, elite defensive team that has great length. Or they don't have to play, and they don't have to play a team that has a very, very dominant big man. To me, those are the two biggest issues or roadblocks that Kansas could run into. Which, outside of like, you know, Houston, Tennessee, I think there's a couple other teams that are that elite. Like, I think they can get past an elite defensive team. If the team has a really good big man, like let's say, I guess Purdue's probably going to end up being a one seed, so they fe- they feasibly wouldn't see Purdue. But like, maybe like a, a, a UConn, potentially, or a Creighton, or even a Gonzaga. Like it's, it's listen, it's very plausible that Gonzaga could be like the three seed. If like, let's say KU's a two, Gonzaga could be the three in their region. That's That's not out of the question, I don't think. I think that could potentially give Kansas trouble. But listen, against because uh, again, listen against a team without a, a, a rim protector, I think Kansas has kind of figured that out. They're gonna they they want to play five out. We saw what they did against 
against Texas. I think that's I think you're going to see more of that the rest of the season against teams that don't have strong rim protectors or strong rim, strong rim protection. I think you're going to see a lot more of that style of play from KU because it was very successful against Texas. So those are the two that you want to dodge. So if that happens, like I said, if, if you're able to do that, I do think the ceiling is is the Final Four National Championship. I think the floor could be like the second round, right? Let's say you do run into, let's say you are a two seed and you run into a seven seed team that is pretty good on defense, has, has solid post play, plays at a slower tempo, and they just kind of grind KU down, right? Or KU gets in foul trouble against those guys and they just kind of grind them down. I think that's, I think that that could be equally plausible just depending on the matchups. So at the end of the day, just like every other NCAA tournament, it depends on your matchups, really, if you're Kansas. But I do think Kansas is in a position to where they can overcome a lot of matchup issues to a certain extent. So we just have to see. We just have to see. All right, from Brian. Do you think John Calipari has lost, quote-unquote, it? Well, Brian... Yes, of course I do. You're talking to the number one uh, president of the John Calipari hate club. The opposite of the fan club. Yes, John Calipari sucks, man. This dude's not good at anything besides recruiting. But look at his teams every year. And look what he does. He doesn't do anything. This dude is a clown. Yes, John Calipari has lost it. But guess what? He may be able to sleepwalk his way to another championship at some point. Because he gets five-star players every year. So, I don't know. I hope I hope that that doesn't happen, though. But do I think Kentucky's going to fire him? <sighs> no. They're going to... Unless they bottom out and somehow find a way to miss the tournament at this rate, I don't, I don't think Kentucky will fire him. Because I don't even know where does... Where, where is Kentucky in the current... Uh, Bracketology. I don't even know. Let's 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 look it up. Bracketology here. I'm just looking up on my laptop. Oh, my laptop just exploded. There we go. Wherever they are, if they're a low enough seed, I think they can end up making a a run. I really do. I mean, listen, they have a very talented team. They have a very talented team. And. I've ranted about this a couple times on this show. When you have a really, really talented team that underperforms in the regular season, but they're still really, really good, like top 10 team in terms of talent, and they get like a 7 seed or a 6 seed or an 8 seed, and then they go on a run, and they make like the Final Four. The coach gets all the credit. Oh, that's great coaching in March. Oh, this guy's a great coach. No, he's not a great coach. His team underperformed, so we got a lower seed. And then when he makes a run, everyone's like, oh, wow, look at that. Kentucky is a seven seed. Made the, made the Final Four. Wow, what great coaching by John Calipari. No, it's not great coaching by John Calipari. No. It's actually bad coaching. Because if the team is that good, he should not have been a seven seed. Yeah. That kind of stuff really ticks me off. All right. Sorry. Sidetrack. Last question on, on the mailbag. This is a good one. I, I saved this one for last specifically. From Marin. Please compare a full breakfast 
to this Kansas basketball team. Okay, I love this. So here's how I'm going to do this. I am going to assign every player to a specific food of the breakfast. So let's say you're getting yourself some breakfast. And let's say you're going to get, you know, a traditional breakfast. So you're going to get some pancakes. You're going to get some shredded hash browns fried. You're going to get some eggs. I'll, I'll, I'll get some scrambled eggs. You're going to get some bacon. You're going to get some toast. And you're going to have a glass of milk or orange juice or whatever. Okay, so those are the options. So what player is each option? Well, I think under that scenario, you make Jalen the pancakes because that's the centerpiece of the breakfast or waffles or French toast or whatever you're going to get. That's the centerpiece of the breakfast. That's the mo- That's the the main course, so to speak. I think Jalen's going to be that, right? Then you go to your bacon, the sweet, salty, savory bacon. I think the bacon is probably McCuller. Maybe? No, I think the bacon's Grady Dick, actually. Change your mind. Grady Dick's the bacon. Because he's flashy. He can hit shots. He's a shooter. The bacon's flashy. It's sometimes it's people's favorite part of the meal. The bacon's Grady Dick. The shredded hash browns are Dewan Harris. The shredded hash browns are... Maybe the shredded hash browns are never going to be... Like, you're never going to have a breakfast meal and be like... Dude, the hash browns, man, that was the best part. That was so good. The hash browns, man, were so good. But the hash browns are usually like the what holds it all together, the glue that sort of completes the whole meal, right? But you're never gonna you're never gonna get up from the table after breakfast and say, dude, hash browns are the best part. That's why I think Dewan Harris is the hash browns. Because he is such a vital, integral cog of the machine of KU basketball. But nobody's ever, I mean, people aren't just going to be like, oh, yeah, the hash browns. That's the best part. And then who do I have left? I have KJ Adams and who am I missing? Oh, McCuller, because I made Grady Dick the bacon. KJ Adams and Kevin McCuller. So I've got got the orange juice and I've got the toast. I think the toast needs to be KJ Adams. Because with the toast, you it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the outlier, I guess, maybe, or like it's almost on the side. But then you put some butter on it and it's like it it, it really hits hits the spot. And with KJ Adams, I guess that's kind of how he is, a little bit. And then I'm gonna give the orange juice to or, or whatever your drink is to wash it all down the orange juice the milk I'm going to give that to Kevin McCuller and I think with that the orange juice slash milk to wash it all down you can't really go wrong with it right like it's 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 dependable it's reliable it's always going to taste the same because you can't get you know you get a, you get a bad breakfast right and maybe your eggs are oh I forgot about the eggs I don't know I, got, I don't have anybody to be the eggs Okay, KJ Adams can be the KJ Adams can be the eggs. Okay, sorry, KJ Adams is the eggs. I, w- I still want to have Kevin McCuller be the orange juice slash milk because it's it's consistent, it's reliable. You're never gonna have it be bad, really. If you whatever your whatever your drink of choice is, it's always gonna be there at the end to wash it all down. So and McCuller is reliable. He's dependable. He gets a lot of rebounds. He he does all this small stuff. 
the the orange juice and milk does all the small stuff really well. Again, you're not gonna finish your breakfast, drink the milk, and be like, dude, the milk, wow. But again, it's just there. It's just there to sort of you know be be that consistent uh, undercurrent, so to speak. So in conclusion, Dalen is your main core, your main course. Pancakes, waffles, French, French toast, whatever you get. Grady Dick is the bacon. KJ Adams is the eggs. Dewan Harris is the hash browns. And Kevin McCuller is the sweet orange juice and milk that washes it all down. And with that, this has been the KU Mailbag. Thanks so much to everyone that submitted their questions. We do the KU Mailbag once a week, so if you didn't get a question in, don't worry. You'll have a chance to get in next week for the KU Mailbag, and Derek will be back as well so we can talk more about it. But uh, that has been the KML bag. Thank you so much to everyone that submitted. We're going to take a short break right now. We're going to do a quick breakdown of uh, what happened last night in the Big 12. And then we'll have Brian Haney on the show in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today, but the show goes on. And as always on Thursdays, we are joined by... The voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney himself, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And it was a it was a big weekend for KU basketball. They took the loss in Ames, but then came back on Big Monday against Texas with a big win. And Brian, the top story really from that uh, that game against Texas was the bench. And what most impressed you about the performances of Joe and MJ Rice and Ernest Dude in that win for Kansas? Well, I think with each of those three guys you mentioned, uh, we started to see a little bit of what we were expecting to get. With Joe, we saw everything that Kansas thought they were getting two years ago when he first committed to KU. I mean, I remember at the time, we were coming off a 2021 season where KU just lost to USC and it wasn't close. And you saw how much more athletic USC was than Kansas. And so it was a major priority. We got to get quicker. We got to get faster. We got to have more explosiveness. And they're able to add this Cinderella media darling from the NCAA tournament and the postseason for Drake, Joe Yesifu. And everybody was quoting the 24 points per game over his last nine games with Drake. And how about all those highlight real plays in March Madness? And everybody was so excited and just kind of, you know, drooling at the mouth over what his athleticism differential was going to be. And then he comes to Kansas, and, you know, it's taken a year and a half for him to settle in and and really develop the confidence like he belongs and he can take over in a given moment to be that spark off the bench that Kansas needs. And so, you know, when you come to a major conference and everybody's a little bit longer and a little bit faster, suddenly while you still might be the best athlete, the, the differential isn't nearly the gap that it once was in the Valley. And so for him, it's just it's taken a while for him to realize, hey, I can still impose my wheel. I can still kick it into that extra gear. And I, I think when he had that breakaway, not on the dunk, but on one of his uh, layups where he got the ball close to midcourt and then he just kicked in the afterburners and he was gone. That, to me, coupled with the dunk where you saw the 46-inch vertical, you know, those two plays – it will probably, you know, Bill Self thinking, okay, this is what we thought we were getting. And we told this story on Rock Chalk Sports Talk a couple of weeks ago, and Coach Self had Joe as his guest out at Hawk Talk, and after telling the crowd and everybody on air that, that Joe needs to be this spark off the bench that could come in and hit two or three threes a game for us, 
he then, during a commercial break, put the headset down when nobody was listening and, and, and put his hands on both shoulders and said, son, I meant that. You need to be that. We need that now. And I just loved that, that confidence-infusing pep talk he gave him for just five seconds using that platform to fuel the fire. And I think ever since then, you've seen Joe try a little harder you know, to make his presence felt in those minutes he gets on the floor. And it didn't come easily on Saturday in Ames, but eventually – you saw him you know, score eight points and, and make an impact. But, boy, did it ever look in rhythm and in the flow of the team concept on Monday. I mean, that looked like a guy that could absolutely be our best spark off the bench. And so I think after all these you know months of waiting for the real Joe Yesifu to emerge and to get all that athleticism they thought they were adding in 2021, it finally arrived. And now it's just a matter of bottling that up. You know, real quickly with Earn, we've been talking about Uday for the last couple of weeks as a guy that makes Kansas so much longer, so much more traditional in the post if he's able to give you six or seven good minutes a half. And I think we clearly saw that Monday. And then MJ looked as involved and engaged as I've seen him. It's hard to get in the flow when you're only getting two minutes a half and you're dealing with the bulky back flares up and you know, he never knows if he's going to be able to go one half to the next but man I saw him hunkered down in a defensive stance roaring with a scream an audible scream in the face of the Texas ball handler bringing it up I can't remember if it was Carr or who it was maybe it was Tyrese Hunter but but MJ was in the fight and he was roaring and chomping at the bit to be out there and I thought okay now this is a guy who clearly feels healthy he feels like he can contribute something and that's what we've been begging for all season. So for all three of those guys, you know, we start to see the surface of their potential. And for Joe Yesifu in particular, that's exactly what they recruited him to be. Now let's see if he can go back it up. Yeah, specifically for MJ and Ertis, do you think maybe in a weird way with some of the injuries Kay's been dealing with in the short bench that those young guys felt a little more confidence that they could play through some some mistakes where they might be in the past they might have been afraid that they were going to get taken out of the game. Do you, do you feel like in a weird way maybe that benefited guys like MJ and Ernest to, to be able to know that they were going to have some time to stay out there and work through some of the issues they had on the floor? A hundred percent it did. Completely agree. And you hate to see injuries happen, but sometimes when you've got so many bigs and or whatever the position is and you're shuffling them in trying to push the button to get a combination that works, uh, sometimes there can be a quicker hook than what a young player needs to get a little bit more of a, a runway to kind of take off catch my drift and so I think it probably was in the back of Ernest's mind or MJ's mind in previous games that you know one missed defensive assignment or one bad pass that leads to a live ball turnover and you're probably coming out whereas knowing Monday we had eight scholarship players available and then Michael Jankovic in an emergency situation they knew they did have a little bit longer leash and, and more rope if, if uh, you know things were not exactly as they wanted to see you know unfolding out there in terms of uh, like I said a turnover or something like that that the coach would stick with them and and that was exactly what we saw so really happy to see that for those guys and while MJ's contributions weren't huge in the counting stats department you could definitely tell he was feeling more comfortable and confident and in the flow of what we were doing on both ends and as Bill Self said today in his press conference you know that's the most they've seen out of him in terms of activity level and feeling good in a long, long time. So hopefully not only for the rest of this season, but particularly for next, you see MJ continue to ascend because he's not anywhere near where we thought he would be at this juncture in the season heading into the year. And when you start to think about 
Jalen as a projected first-round pick, Grady as a projected lottery pick. I mean, they really need both those guys, Ernest and MJ, to take flights and, and really have liftoff here. Uh, not that they become stars this season, but gain enough tangible moments where they, they have confidence-building, inducing performances that, that you can kind of hand a baton to them at the end of this season, heading into the offseason, knowing that there's going to be major minutes and, and real heavy lifting on their plate, you know, should they feel so inclined next season. Because I think at the midway point of the season, we all kind of wondered, man, is MJ ever going to break through here? But Saturday, not so much. Monday, absolutely. What was MJ Rice starting to turn that corner? Okay, so in KU's last three games, we've seen the bench perform pretty well in their two home games, K-State and Texas, but still struggle on the road against Iowa State. How do you think those guys, guys like MJ and Ernest, and even Joe to an extent, can translate the success they found off the bench at home to two road environments that Kansas has coming up? Well, you know, the, the old coaching cliche is that defense will travel. And by that we mean not a traveling violation, but rather... Defense is so much about energy and effort and want to, as Roy Williams used to say. You can pack that up and take it on the road. Yes, we feed off the energy of the home crowd. And yes, there's nothing like the 16300 that we get at Allen Fieldhouse to put an extra charge into Kansas. But while you can't predict that shots are going to fall one game to the next, you can expect and take with you the same amount of defensive intensity right out the gate. And so they just have to bring it early and often. Kevin McCullough said as much to the media today. I know you asked specifically about Ernest and MJ, but Kevin is kind of the defensive intensity catalyst on this team. He and Juan are. And, and he said, hey, all of us have to bring it from the jump. You know, we don't want to be one of these teams that, that digs a 14-point hole in Manhattan or a 13-point hole uh, in Waco because we weren't coming out of the gates, you know, with our hair on fire right away. And Again, you don't know what it's going to look like offensively your first few trips down the floor, but if you come out and get some, some quick steals like we saw in that Texas game, it's amazing how that you know, typically lends itself to, to offensive success on the other side. So for Ernest and MJ, when they come in the game, whenever that is, I mean, be an activity-level guy that raises the bar on the defensive end. Have active hands. You know, come up with a big defensive rebound if you're Ernest Uday and start that transition break. Whatever it is, make it happen on the defensive end of the floor, and that's going to lead to you know, greater offensive chances for your teammates and, and maybe for you yourself as well. But I think for those guys in wanting to earn more minutes, the best way to do it is on the rebounding edge and on the defensive side. That's going to earn points with the head coach, and that's going to hopefully lead to more opportunities for extended runs for both of them. Jalen Wilson had one of the best six-game stretches of scoring from any player in Cape history, really. Uh, and then against Texas, he, he really struggled. Only got two points in the game. It was his first, the first time this season getting under double digits. What do you make of the struggles against Texas, and how do you expect him to bounce back from that? You know, I really don't worry about it too much. Uh, there was foul trouble. There was some jawing back and forth with Timmy Allen. I'm not saying that affected him and got in his head, but it was a little bit of a distraction. What, to me, was a great sign is that when he got back in the game after some foul trouble late and he was still stuck on two points, there were two specific examples where he could have forced up a shot if he was hunting numbers and thinking, i got to get mine because the Wooden Award and the Naismith Award people are watching tonight. He didn't do that. He made the extra pass. One in particular on the left baseline, he could have forced up an off-balance 17-footer. He took an extra dribble, made the extra pass, found the Juan Harris for a bucket right next to the rim. That, to me, was the consummate teammate. Looking for a higher percentage shot, 
a better outcome for his team, not selfishly thinking, man, I got to get a shot up because, you know, it's, it's 35 minutes into this game and I've only got two points. Not once did you see him force it, and I thought that was great. That shows what a complete player he is, shows what a team player he is. And so I don't worry about uh, you know, anything extending one game to the next. I know the shooting numbers weren't great, what was it, one of seven, something like that. But it, it's not like he, he jacked up 20 shots and only hit three. It was a smaller sample size, never really got in the flow but didn't have to get in the flow offensively. Other guys were doing it, and he was finding other ways to contribute, whether it was on the glass or setting up teammates. And so, honestly, I think it's, it's a blip you know, on the radar, and he comes right back strong on Saturday, right back with a 20-plus point game against a, a guy who's an old uh, you know, high school buddy and, and competitor in Grant Sherfield. You know those two will be going back and forth, and Kevin McCullough has a history with him as well. So I think that'll bring the best out of Jalen, and this will be a, a mere blip, like I said. Ironically, it was also a home game versus Texas. It was Ochai Abaji's first single-digit performance all season a year ago. I don't know what it is about the horns taking our top guy away in our house, but, you know, Ochai was rolling along with however many, what, 30 straight double-figure games or something like that until, you know, Texas threw a wrench in the system on him. But he rebounded eventually, and, and so too will Jalen, and I think Jalen's rebound comes a lot quicker on Saturday. Speaking of Saturday, KU on the road against Oklahoma. It was a tight game in Allen earlier this season. KU was down late in the game, had to rally to win. What are you most looking for out of the Jayhawks coming into this matchup on the road on Saturday? Well, you know, it kind of has the feel of a trap game when you look at their place in the standings at 2-9 and nine and, and the fact that, uh, you know, we worked so hard to get back within a game of Texas now when it could have gone the other way and might have been dead and buried down three with seven games to go had Kansas lost on Monday. I think if I'm Bill Self, I'm reminding the guys that as hard as you worked to stay in the thick of it and be right there nipping at the heels of Texas, you could give it right back if you stub your toe on Saturday. And this team is very capable after beating Alabama by 24 on that same floor and leading by 30 in that game in what was truly the biggest feather in the Big 12's cap on that 7-3 and Saturday of Big 12 versus SEC basketball a couple weeks back. And, and he'll remind them of what you just alluded to. KU was down 10 in a building where OU hasn't won since 1993, and it took an 18-4 to run in the last five minutes to barely escape by four. So both of these next two games on the road, Norman and Stillwater, are games that we easily could have lost at home, and so that should have the attention of Kansas absolutely. Oklahoma State's recent run that's pulled them to within two games of first place and made us have to consider the Big 12 race a seven-team contest, not a six-team race. That should have Kansas's respect as well. But I, I think uh, what gets their attention above all is just how hotly contested both of those first meetings were and the expectation that it would be even tougher on the road. And both those venues have been hit and miss for Kansas in recent years. So we'd love to see Kansas take advantage. It's a stretch on Texas' schedule, Nick, where their next three opponents are the bottom three in the Big 12 standings. And so this is where Kansas just needs to keep pace with Texas these next three. Easier said than done, believe me, because these are two road games and then Baylor is obviously very talented and they're closer to full strength now getting Jonathan Chachibachua back, but uh, it's a situation where if you can stay a game back, then in that last two weeks, Texas takes on 
four top 20 teams, four teams that are all within a game of first place, including Kansas. And if you're only down one at that point, now you've got a great shot. Because that's where I think dominoes really start to fall with Texas in the final two weeks. You don't want to head into that fortnight down two-plus games because then you no longer control your own destiny. So that's where taking care of business on the road these next two and not allowing Saturday to be a trap game against a ninth-place team is so critical. Because while they may be ninth in the standings, just a week ago they were on the right side of the bracketology bubble looking out. And uh, obviously, if you look at how closely they played Baylor and, and any of their opponents um, outside of the Oklahoma State game, you know they've been very formidable. So I think it's going to be a good challenge for Kansas, no doubt. All right, Brian, the Super Bowl is on Sunday, so I wanted to ask you one Super Bowl-related question. You're at a Super Bowl party. What is your go-to first meal or first item you're going to go to for food? Is it chips and dip? Is it wings? Is it nachos? What's your first go-to food item at the party? Wow, how about that? That's a great question. Last Super Bowl party I was at, uh, Matt Llewellyn was there from the 23rd Superbury, and he makes this amazing Rotel cheese dip, and he puts big hunks of sausage in there on top of the cheese. And so whether you've got one of those, like, scoop chips where you can really (laughs) get a whole bunch on there or or just a traditional chip – he loads it up with every bite. And so uh, that, that was my favorite. That was probably a go-to. But uh, man, there's lots of options. I'm, I'm not hosting a party this year, but usually when I host parties, I will uh, have seven or eight you know, finger food options, and I name them after players in the game, trying to be creative and punny and, and stuff like that with their receptive, respective names. So if you're having a party this weekend, you know, see if you can come up with your best – uh, Mahomes cookies or something like that, you know, with yeah, yeah. play on the name. And, and my mom made these amazing butterscotch marshmallow cookies that had these little uh, doodly looking uh, kind of bread straw things that were kind of like his curly hair. And we called them Mahomes cookies. And man, they were so good. <laughs> so whatever you're doing at your respective party, make little name cards for each item and, and spruce it up with some eagles and chiefs uh, names. I think that always makes fun for the guests to. Uh, walk around and see what they're choosing from. All right, Brian, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. And before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. That's right. You didn't put me on the spot about a pick on the game or anything. You let me off easy. No, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't want you to, you know, if you were a closet <laughs> Philadelphia fan, I didn't want you to have to expose yourself live on the radio. <laughs> I don't think there's too many closeted ones. Philly <laughs> fans are the most obnoxious fans in the NFL. If you're ever near them, you'll know what I'm talking about when they start their E-A-G-L-E-S chants. There's nothing closeted about those fans, that's for sure. I'm taking the, I'm taking the Chiefs by three, by the way. There we go. But yes, Nate Miller, he's got his game plan figured out as well. And you can log on to MillerRetirementGroup.com today to book an appointment to sit down and look at your portfolio. If you haven't started one yet or you're just looking to invest for the first time, he'd love to sit down with you and and chart out that game plan. So just as Andy Reid's got his plan for Jalen Hurts and Bill Self has his for the Groves brothers, uh, Nate Miller's got one as well, and he'd love to work with you on yours. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks, buddy. Have fun this weekend, and uh, hopefully a big Kansas win on Saturday. Big Chiefs victory on Sunday night. Yep, thank you very much, Brian. Good luck on the call, and uh, yeah, enjoy the Super Bowl. You too, bud. Take All right. care. Thanks, Brian. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Cue the disclaimer.
Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, two hours down, one to go. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk, 5 o'clock hour. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. He'll be out tomorrow. We've had a good show so far. Talked a lot about uh, the Chiefs and the Super Bowl, and we'll probably have more discussion of the Super Bowl uh, leading into tomorrow's show as well. Also going to preview KU and Oklahoma uh, ahead of their matchup on Saturday. So should be an exciting Friday show as well. Hope you join me for it. And speaking of the Super Bowl, would like to remind you that you can listen to the big game on KLWN with coverage brought to you by Victory CDJR. They are the Victory Auto Group, but but specifically they have the Victory CDJR Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Ottawa and are now the new owners of Victory Chevrolet and Victory Ford in Garnett, Kansas, bringing you coverage uh, of the big game on KLWN via Westwood One on Sunday. And so for the Super Bowl, I wanted to sort of put together a best of lie detector test of Super Bowl Media Week. You always have Great quotes, great different stuff in Super Bowl Media Week. So this is a best of lie detector test of Super Bowl Media Week. And we'll get right into it. Starting off with this. This was probably the biggest one of the week. Juju Smith-Schuster says the best Philly cheesesteaks aren't in Philly. And what's most curious about this is that he he then failed to say where he believed the best Philly cheesesteaks were. So I'm questioning whether or not this is the truth from, from Juju Smith. Because this is one of those things where it's like, you, you want to say something that's like bulletin board material, even though you know it might not be true or you might not have a, a good rebuttal to it. And so you say something and somebody, so like you say, you know, like, oh, well, Oreos definitely aren't the best cookie to dunk in milk. And then somebody says, well, what what is the best cookie? And you're like, well, obviously not Oreos, right? It's one of those things where it's like, it may actually be true, but you just don't want to, you know, you've already doubled down on the statement. So you don't want to, you don't want to just fold into it. You know what I mean? Like, like that, you know what I mean? Like. That, that's kind of the vibes that I'm getting here from Juju Smith-Schuster. So, I, I, I don't know. And also, Juju Smith-Schuster obviously played in Pittsburgh, so he maybe already has... I don't know if there's really a Pittsburgh-Philly rivalry. There, there might be. I'm not really sure, I guess. But he might already have some some dislike for Philly to begin with, uh, having played in Pittsburgh. And so, I don't know if this is the truth or not, but I, again, I think what's most telling about this, and this is why the lie detector is going off a little bit here with Juju Smith-Schuster, is that... Is that when he was follow, when he asked to follow up about where is the best Phyllis cheesesteak, he didn't. He he kind of deflected. He didn't give a clear answer. So that that kind of raises some yellow flags there on, on the lie detector of questioning uh, whether or not that is really the truth. Okay, how about this one? Reporter apologizes to Jalen Hurts for doubting him. So a reporter basically comes up to Jalen Hurts during his uh, media availability and says, "Hey, I didn't think that the you guys could make the Super Bowl with you as the quarterback." And Jalen Hurts says, "Yeah, not a lot of people did either." And so the reporter says, listen, man to man, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Jalen Hurts just responds with, cool. So a couple things here. Number one, I I kind of feel for Jalen Hurts here and like, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to, to a guy just basically saying like, hey, I thought you sucked. I didn't think you were going to make the Super Bowl. Now you're here. And I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Uh, but I, I do actually feel like the reporter is probably telling the truth because, listen, there were a lot of Jalen Hurts doubters. There were a lot of people that, that, that maybe just didn't necessarily believe in Jalen Hurts, and there are still people even now that he's in the Super Bowl uh, don't necessarily believe in him because they look at and they say, well, look at the talent he's got around him. He was carried to the Super Bowl by a great defense, by guys like A.J. Brown and Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard and, and all the weapons that he has and a great offensive line, you know. So there are still some doubters to him. So 
I think this reporter's probably telling the truth. I think this guy's legitimately probably just like, you know, some Philly guy who back in August wrote a column that was like, the Eagles will never make the Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts. And now he just feels really bad. <laughs> he wanted to come up and just apologize to him. So this one gets a green light from me. Uh, true here on the guy report- apologizing to Jalen Hurts. Okay, this is another wild one. Patrick Mahomes claims he doesn't. This was so he made this comment uh, back in on Tuesday, I think it was, or earlier in the week. He claimed that he doesn't have any Valentine's Day plans, or he he hadn't prepared any Valentine's Day plans, and then he goes on to even further to say that he doesn't even know what day of the week Valentine's Day is on. So he basically says, "I don't know what day Valentine's Day is. I know it's the 14th, but I don't know like what day of the week it is." So I, I hope for Patrick's sake that this is a lie. But I, I don't know. He could be very well telling the truth, right? I mean, listen, you're preparing for the Super Bowl. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, I think. The 14th. What? I think it's Tuesday. I'm going to look at the calendar real quick. So I, um, Yeah, it's on. Okay, it's on Tuesday, right? It's on, it's on the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. Certainly, these past 10 to, 10 to 12 days, you've been totally locked in on the Super Bowl. You haven't probably even really thought about anything besides football. But yeah, man, it's, it's also, you know, you got to know your job here. Like, this is... This is part of your role. I mean, you got to understand if you're in a relationship like this, you got to know. You got to you got to plan ahead of time. Like this is something that, you know, maybe if I were in Mahomes' position or if I want a player's position and I have a, a significant other, I would maybe plan ahead to the point where I know in I know like way back in like December or January what I want to do for Valentine's Day, right? And I've already got the plans in motion. That way, that way I'm not getting blindsided like it sounds like Mahomes might be. If he doesn't have any plans, so I there's two there's two facets to this on the lie detector. Number one says he doesn't have any plans for Valentine's Day. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe number two says he doesn't know what day of the week it is. Uh, <laughs> that one, I I mean, it's so ridiculous that I think it has to be true, right? Like here's a a guy that's just so locked in that he doesn't even know what day of the week Valentine's Day is, even though it's two days after the Super Bowl. So. For Patrick Mahomes' sake, I hope it's a lie, but ah, there could be some truth here. All right, Jason Kelsey. So this was, uh, I think, I don't know when this interview came out. Arian Foster gave an interview uh, back a, a little over a week ago, and basically he claimed or he's tried to spin this idea that everything the NFL does in the league is scripted. And so that was kind of a, a popular question to get asked to some players. So Jason Kelsey was asked about that. Jason Kelsey says, The worst part of the league being scripted was ACL terror in 2012. And he then he goes into detail about Ed Reed and how Ed Reed dove. Ed Reed was the one that dove into his legs, and he's like, "Oh man, that's kind of crazy in the script that instead of it being like a regular another lineman or something, they made it Ed Reed." So okay, number one, if you buy into the theory that the league is scripted, I, I don't know that I can help you anymore. Like I just I don't know what to say. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's just it, it. It is what it is. Uh, but I think this was a great answer from Jason Kelsey, and and I think it just goes to show that when it comes to these types of you know, big moments in a player's career or big injuries in a player's career, they do not forget even the small details. Like, Jason Kelsey very quickly brought up Ed Reed and how it was Ed Reed was the one that <laughs> dove into his leg, and he had clearly had not forgotten that. So, obviously, I doubt he harbored any ill will towards Ed Reed, but it's like, in moments like that, it's it's funny how players remember the specific uh, things that, that occurred in that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess this is the truth because he, he remembers describing his ACL tear in 2012, but Again, if you if you believe the league is scripted, not sure I can help you. Okay, how about this one? Nick Sirianni was asked if the Super Bowl is a must-win game. 
His response? Yeah. Lie or not a lie? I <laughs> obviously it's obviously it's the truth here. Uh, yeah, the Super Bowl is a must-win game. It's the Super Bowl. You've got to win the game. Uh, you don't go into it if you lose, your season's over, right? I mean, it's it's a bit of a funny question. And if you were listening to the show yesterday, Derek was making some outlandish statements about the term "must-win game" to the point where I was I was pretty annoyed with him. I was like, dude. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? But in this case, Super Bowl equals must-win game? Yes, I can buy into that. Okay, Jason Kelsey claims that he is basically undefeated in fights with Travis Kelsey when they were kids. So somebody asked him about Travis Kelsey, and he talked about how when they were kids, they would fight, and Jason Kelsey said that he was basically undefeated. And then he launched into a story about how they were playing pickup basketball and and that was the one time that Travis Kelsey actually successfully defeated him in a fight or whatever. And that was like their last fight uh, as brothers. And now, of course, they're like all best friends, you know. So here's the deal with this. The fact that he inserted the basically in front of undefeated makes me immediately think that this is a guaranteed lie. Guaranteed lie. Like, for instance, you don't say, like if somebody says, if somebody, for instance, let's let's think about like Mike Tyson or somebody like that. If Mike Tyson is like forty-eight and one, or forty-eight and zero, or whatever, or whatever is, or Floyd Mayweather, whatever the records were in boxing, and somebody says, "Are you undefeated?" or "Have you ever lost?" and he says, "No, I'm undefeated." Well, yeah, he's he is undefeated, right? But if he's like forty-seven and one, and somebody says, "Hey, are you undefeated as a boxer?" and he says, "Yeah, I'm basically undefeated." I mean, I've won 98% of whatever, right? No, that that's not how that works. You're either undefeated or you're not undefeated. You're not basically undefeated. There, no, you. That doesn't. That's not how this works. Okay, that this is this is an absolute situation. Either you're undefeated or you're not undefeated. Okay. So the fact that Kelsey tried to spin it in the beginning to say, well, you know, I'm basically undefeated, right? Like, no, that, that that's not how that works. That's not how that works. This is this. You're dealing in absolutes here. You're either undefeated or you're not undefeated. Okay. So this is a guaranteed lie from Jason Kelsey claiming he's basically undefeated. Because you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say you're basically undefeated. If, if you were actually undefeated, you would just say, I'm undefeated. There's no reason to include the basically in it. You, you understand? Like, like what, why? What, I don't understand. Okay? So Jason Kelsey, guaranteed flat-out lie. All right, Darius Slay guesses that Kansas City is in Kansas. Now, this is actually a pretty common mistake. If you remember, even the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, suggested or said in a tweet or when he congratulated, I think when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2020, he said, congratulations to the state of Kansas, even though Kansas City's in Missouri. So I think this is the truth from Darius Slay. I think there are a lot of people out there who maybe aren't, you know, aren't from the Midwest, aren't familiar with the Midwest. They see the Kansas City Chiefs and they think, oh, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs are, are in Kansas. And so I think this is just an honest mistake. I think this is an honest mistake. And it was quickly mentioned and pointed out in the article that Darius Slay guessed that, and there were some, uh, evidently some Kansas City reporters in the front row or whatever, and they immediately corrected him that it was in Missouri. Now listen, if I were in that situation, I don't know that I would correct him. Because honestly, I'm fine with people thinking Kansas City is in Kansas, because Kansas is by far the way superior state anyway. So I don't have any issue with people getting that mixed up. I have no problems with that. So I have no qualms about that. I know other people do, but if you want to think it's Kansas City's in Kansas, great, even better. And you know what? Listen, if Arrowhead ends up moving, which could be a possibility with with the Royals potentially leaving or moving to, to downtown, 
One of the locations for Arrowhead could be that they move onto the Kansas side for, for, for a new stadium for the Chiefs. And then they would actually be in Kansas. Makes you think. Okay. A couple of really, really great ones here to, to round this out. Somebody asked Andy Reid, start, bench, cut. The three options were five guys, in and out, and Shake Shack. Okay? And Andy Reid kind of, uh, he kind of, he, he kind of beat around the bush a little bit. And then eventually his response was, start them all. This is absolutely the truth. I, I have no doubt that Andy Reid would start all of them. He would bend, He would cut anything else. He's, he's cutting salad. He's cutting uh, green beans. He's cutting all your vegetables. Everything. Everything is getting cut before he's going to cut or bench five guys in and out of Shake Shack. So this is this is absolutely the truth from Andy Reid. Really, really, really funny stuff there uh, from Andy Reid. And, and I have no question. And he, and he talked about how uh, he, he grew up on in and out He's had five guys in Shake Shack and... I think the bigger question for Andy Reid here is, do you think Andy Reid has tried every single uh, fast food type burger in there is to offer in America? Do you, do you think he's been to every single burger fast food place? That's the question that I would have. Like, uh, I guess I, it depends on how, I guess you'd have to break that down. Like, probably he's not been to like every local place. You know, like, for instance, in, in Lawrence, you have, like, uh, the burger stand and stuff like that. Like, he probably hasn't been there. But, like, I guess if you were to say, like, a, a chain franchise place, do you think he's had every single burger from every single fast food place? Like, do you, like okay, how about this? Do you think Andy Reid's had Brahms? I feel like he probably has, right? I mean, I don't know. I think, maybe? <sighs> See, th- these are the burning questions that I have. Okay. And for the record, start, bench, cut. I am starting five guys. Okay, if we are if we are eliminating the economic aspect of this discussion, I'm 100% starting five guys. I'm going to bench Shake Shack and cut in and out, I think. I've only had in and out a couple times. I've had Shake Shack a few more times. Five guys to me is the number one superior fast food burger. And listen, I'm going to call it a fast food burger because I think five guys is much closer to a fast food joint than they are to like a sit down restaurant type place right like you're not putting five guys in the same category as like chilies or applebees or places like that right and i understand that they don't fully fit into like the fast food restaurant type uh sort of prototype but I think they are much closer to that than they are to being a sit-down restaurant. So in my opinion, I am including Five Guys in that in the fast food category. And for that reason, Five Guys is number one. Best fast food burger, period. End of story. Not even close. I don't even think it's a discussion. So Five Guys, easily start. Again, I want to remind you, I'm, I'm, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this first by taking, into it, by taking out the economic aspect of this. Five Guys is the most expensive. But if we're not, if, if, it's, if money's not a problem... I'm taking five guys every time. I'm gonna I'm gonna bench Shake Shack. Shake Shack's pretty solid actually, and they have a crinkle cut fries, which I'm a big fan of. I like crinkle cut fries, uh, so I do like Shake Shack. But I gotta be honest, I don't think Shake Shack's shakes are that really good. And if you're gonna have a restaurant named Shake Shack, like you need to be pretty good at shakes. And I just don't think that their shakes are really that great. So that's why they're getting benched. And I'm I'm cutting in and out. In and out is great if you don't have a ton of money. It's fantastic. 
it's super cheap and it's pretty pretty good stuff but I don't know it's just they, the the lack of a variety on the menu they just I'm just I'm not getting enough I'm not getting enough really uh, from in and out however if we are including the economic standpoint here if we're saying okay money is a factor I would probably st- I'd probably start in and out bench five guys and cut Shake Shack I think if we if if I had to if money was a problem if money was a problem, like if I had a, a finite amount of spending dollars to go out to eat that night, and those are my three options, I probably would take in and out first because you you, I mean, you're getting your best bang for your buck. I think in that case, because it's not like it's not like in and out's bad by any means. I don't think. All right, enough burger talk. I'm getting hungry. Final one of the lie detector test Super Bowl Media Week edition. Orlando Brown claimed that as a kid he ate more cereal than anyone. Oh wait, I actually have another one after this. Sorry, I I, I didn't realize I have two more after this one. So so this is this is the second to last one. I have one more after this. <laughs> Orlando Brown claims as a kid he ate more cereal than anyone. Okay, listen. Number one, that's a very very bold statement. But the reason I'm inclined to maybe believe him is he's an offensive tackle. He's a huge guy. He's a big dude. Like. If this guy was was a large person as a kid too, like big as a kid, I'm I'm willing to believe that maybe he did eat more cereal than anybody as a kid, right? So I'm almost I'm almost inclined to believe this one from my Orlando Brown. So that one shaky, but I think maybe the truth. And here's the last one: Travis Kelsey says uh, somebody asked him what he what he what he does to enjoy himself. I guess away from football or whatever. Travis Kelsey says he enjoys a tequila and water to relax. Okay, number one, this is absolutely the truth. This is exactly what I pictured Travis Kelsey to do is when he's relaxing, tequila and water. Uh, I expect nothing less from Travis Kelsey. But he also then Travis Kelsey also went on to say, you know, hey, listen, um, I like to travel, I like to eat food, I like to have good food and stuff like that, you know. So, but the tequila and water, absolutely the truth. I might have one to relax later tonight. Actually, no, we I can't promote that. Sorry, not gonna do that. Actually, on the air, Travis Kelsey says he enjoys tequila and water to relax. Lie detector test determined. That is the truth. All right, this was Lie Detector Test, Super Bowl Media Week edition. We're going to take a short time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and when we come back, uh, a little update on KU women's basketball. They they uh, took on TCU last night, so we'll give a quick update on that and have the RCST replay coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour. Brian Haney joined the show earlier. If you missed it, we'll have him back on, or we'll have the replay coming up uh, around 5.40-ish later on in the hour. We'll take a time out. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at KLWN.com or the KLWN 